So it is pronounced Maggio. It's the combination of our producer, Eric. It's his daughter and his son's name. So his daughter's name, Maya, and his son's name is Adagio. So it's Maggio. We were originally going to do a G, but there's another like tech company pronounced like that's already got it copywritten and everything. So I was like, what can we do that stands out a little bit? And it's like, okay, well, you know, I played a lot of video games, so I know what like lead speak. So just like change the G <laughs> to six, you know, it's a talking point. It like people are like, how do you do it? You know, is it exactly, um, you know, like I, I can't tell you how many times I've run into people where they're like, oh, it's Dead Mouse 5. No, it's Dead it's Mouse. Dead Mouse. And, and actually, I'm a huge Dead Mouse fan. So like I got that idea from him too, you know, and it just sticks, right? Because it's a, it's a point of conversation. It's things that people will talk about. And I'll even be like MA6, MA6, I'll just be funny to say, you know, egg will just be laughing, you know, and just have a, just, just to be fun. Today, we're going to uncover how Tyler went from a broke engineer in Nashville to a business co-owner working full-time in the music production world for artists that have ended up on TV shows and movies such as CSI, Empire, Snowfall, Shameless, and more. If you're ready to learn what it means to build a better mousetrap, stick around. This is the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast, the first music industry podcast for creatives who want to reach beyond the side hustle where we show you how to apply the principles of business, mindset, and personal development to create real sustainable success from the inside out. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm your host, Cameron, and I have Tyler Norris with me here today. Tyler basically runs a full-service studio after spending years and years in Nashville and Dallas, cutting his teeth in the studio world. So, Tyler, say hi to everybody. Nice to meet you all. (laughs) Well, I guess not really. <laughs> it'll be it'll be post recording, however you want to say. It. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I'll never meet them anyway. So this is cool because the Music Producers Alliance, this podcast is a sister to that community. That that alliance is growing fast as we build out our memberships. We also want to invite people to come take a look behind the scenes. What I like to do is I'll invite you know some of our students or members on the platform to come participate in the podcast and share some of their wins, their story, their progress they're making, and those sorts of things. So today it's kind of a special one because you're actually a member of Music Producers Alliance too. I am actually. It works out great. (laughs) (laughs) There's two parts to this episode and what I really would like to focus on is this concept of building a better mousetrap. I'll go into it in a minute, but I also want to learn from you what your story, what your struggles were, how you overcame them in getting to the point where now you are running a studio business, running a music production business with a partner, Eric, and just kind of start by painting the picture of where you were to where you are now. So, you know, obviously I mentioned Nashville, you had a good stint out there. How did that come about? Yeah. So I actually went to Belmont in Nashville. So I was looking at a couple different music schools and I decided on Belmont. I just wanted to be in Nashville and I, it worked out for some reason, just because of the connect. I found that College is a whole nother thing. Like we can talk about that. But (laughs) I found that the connections were the most important thing. And then so I I ended up finding a mentor and assisting under him and just going in to the studio and setting up sessions that we were going to run. And then I would end up running. So I started out doing that. And then he just had me running Pro Tools. And then he had me being like, how I mean, you pick the mics, you do it, you know, and then he would just come (laughs) in and produce them. And so, yeah, it kind of went from there. So you kind of just fell up. 
<laughs> well, man, it was tough because I honestly, for the longest time, I was like, I, I mean, I was so intimidated when I was in school because everybody knew more than me. And I was like, I'm not, I mean, you know, like people, most yeah. people were coming and their dad was like already a studio owner and they'd be like, Oh, oh yeah, I, I'm acing all these courses and I'm having to learn signal flow on a Neve console. And it was a nightmare for me, you know? I think that kind of just speaks volumes too, because obviously you're in the environment and it just accelerates your growth, right? You don't have to know it all. And that's something that for me, I spent a lot of time in the Central Valley of California where there wasn't a music scene. There wasn't really like a, a recording industry there. And so I had to go all the way to the Bay Area to get my recording arts education. And I definitely felt like I knew a lot more than certain students. Like I, I had toured through Expressions College and when they had their open house, they have some of their best students there. But even then it was just like, okay, you have this cool facility, but I'm asking the student about like, oh, hey, how'd you learn how to use this SSL? He's like, I don't, I don't touch that. that I don't know what this does. Like, it's, it's a fader. Like when you learn one strip, you know, you know them all. You just have to like, okay, now the next level of that is, you know, learning how to assign matrices or, you know, channels and all that stuff. I think that to you was part of your growth and you didn't shy away from that. Yeah, it was tough. It's not going to be easy when you don't know, but look at how far you grew. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was a journey, and I'll, I'll tell you what, most of my journey was outside of school. It was finding the mentor and going and working in a studio for, you know, 16 hours over the course of two days, you know what I mean, or more. I actually interned at Blackbird Studios. Or wow, okay, yes, yes. Um, Blackbird is very famous. <laughs> and we, I would just spend the night there, and so what would happen was the Whoa. the owner i can't remember his name he was really nice to us but he's like okay what during the day you got to do internship stuff he's like at night when no one's in the studio you have full access to it so we would just go in and and, and just record guitars and just Dude. just work on it and i mean that just came about for me calling all these different studios and being like do you need an internship and i'm show, show, showing up to the <laughs> studio in like a tie it's like that's not how it works but now is the internet as prevalent as it is when you were going through schooling, going through that mentorship, do you feel like internet helped kind of accelerate that? Or at the time that you were going, was it still very much an in-person thing? Oh, it definitely had to be an in-person thing when I was going. I graduated in 2012 from college. This is like on the verge of exploding, right? I mean, during yeah. college, that's when it all kind of hit. But uh, yeah, the internet honestly accelerated my growth a lot. I just kind of dove into it. Yeah, because I know for me, when I graduated, it was in 2007 with my recording arts degree. And it was still very much right as that transition point was happening. A lot of abuse was happening in the industry for internships. So internships started not really disappearing, but they just went underground, so to speak. Right. <laughs> so you really, really, really had to pound the pavement. The internet was not as accessible to people in the business world as it is now. Like LinkedIn is great. It's a great way to communicate with people or reach out to people. But I feel like, especially in the music industry, where everything is so focused on relationships, you just, you have to be there. You have to get your face to be memorized by the people that matter to be the, at the point where, okay, now they have that trust built in. Okay, you look familiar. I can start talking to you more. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I still think it's prevalent today. You know, even with like clients and stuff, it's if I can get them on a Zoom call or talk to them on the phone, it's so much easier to actually get their business. 
Let's fast forward a little bit. At some point, you transitioned away from Nashville to mm-hmm. Texas. Mm-hmm. What, what, what was that like? I'll run through that real quick. So I got tired of Nashville. I, I just felt like it was saturated. Like there's just everybody's doing the same thing. A live department where I was going installing boards and stuff in churches, doing gigs Whoa. on the side. I mean, I... I, I soaked in as much as I could there because it was insane how much I learned from other people. And that's kind of one of my principles is like, even as bad as things are, you can always learn something from it. And I've always tried to incorporate that into my life. So I just learned a lot and it wasn't bad. I'm just saying like, you know, I didn't want to be a salesman at a music store. That's not what you envision when you go to college. Right. But, <laughs> but I, I, I actually, I actually had a great time. I learned a ton. I'm very appreciative of him for that role. And then like fast forward a year and a half, I get a call from a production company in Dallas and they were just like, Hey, we need an an engineer. I was referenced through a producer I'd worked with in Nashville. It was weird. And so I just went up there, interviewed and he was like, all right, you get the job. You want to move up in a week. And then I worked here for like four years as the head engineer of this production company. Dude, that's awesome. It was weird. That's why I always say it's like never burn bridges and make sure you're keeping up with people because it, it was seriously like it's just like this domino. Obviously, effect. it opened doors for you. Yeah, right. absolutely. I'm sure that was after years and years of scratching that person's back and taking care of them. You built the value and now you've built that trust and they know the quality of your work speaks for itself. Yeah, that's amazing. OK, so you're at you're at Dallas now. Right. So I worked there for uh, like four years and long story short, that company kind of went under. I'm not going to go into details about it. So I just went out on my own and I've been on my own ever since. And it's, it's been, I don't know, it's been a wild ride. Dang. So when you say you went out on your own, were you just freelancing or is this where Maggio comes in? I was just under Tyler Norris and I had okay. a different website. I met Eric through that production company. He's like one of mm. the craziest producers I've ever worked with. Like I was like, <laughs> what? You know, like it was insane. So we formed a really good friendship and we grew to trust each other a lot. But I went out on my own. I actually worked with a bunch of clients that were like, they would let me use the production studio after hours so I could bring in clients. And I was just like slowly and I was charging like nothing, you know, just to build up rapport in Dallas And, and then after that, yeah, I just, I was on my own and kind of mixing and mastering and and there's a small studio that I worked with here. So. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, you've been more on the engineering side and then Eric comes in with the producing angle and knows how to like songwrite, arrange. At what point did you start teaming up? You're like, Hey, we need to build a, a bigger partnership. Yeah. So I think from the very beginning, we we've always been like, okay, we want to do this. We want to do this because we've both got like the different niche part of the industry you know, and it just worked really well. It just took a while. Eric's definitely the the songwriter and he's, he's the music guy <laughs> and he's going to sit there and write music for 12 hours a day, you know? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be the one to push all the business. And he's just like, yeah, let's do it. It was probably two years, three years ago, we teamed up like hardcore. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So what's this partnership look like? If you were to explain it to somebody coming to your website, we can see a little bit about your services that you run a studio. He does the production work, but on the inside, how does the vehicle start to like make sense? Like, do you, do you have like a sales process you walk people through or is it just, you know, Hey, inquiry. And then we kind of work it out from there. Yeah, that's actually a good question. It's a system. Honestly, we're still like working on, but I'm kind of the point of sell for everything. 
So most of the advertising and I do all of that and I bring them in and we just kind of have a, a sales funnel in terms of like, okay, I'm going to bring someone in. They're going to be like, Hey, I need to record a song. I was like, okay, uh, what, I mean, they'll listen to like, you know, our stuff and, and be like, I really like it. I want it to sound like this. And I was like, okay, well, in order for it to sound like that, you're going to need, probably need a producer. And I'm not, you know, and from there, it's like, you're going to need to get it mixed. You're going to need to get it vocally tuned. You're going to need to record it well. And I'm not just like, it's like being honest because that's the thing too. I, I don't want to like give anybody something that they don't need. It's like I'm, I'm always as honest with people. It's going to cost this much. This is going to be the price. But if you want to achieve this sound, then you need to go through these steps. It's not like, you know, the big people that you hear on Spotify, they're pulling millions of views. They're not, they're not just recording it in their basement and being like, can you mix yeah. it? You know? So it sounds like you also have a level of confidence too, not just in yourself, but there's um, some sort of immediacy that when you hear their vision or when they're giving you their pitch of what they're after, do you research the band that's coming to you or do you have them submit a demo? How does that process work? Yeah, it's kind of it's both. I, so I'll, I'll look them up. I always ask for demos. It doesn't even matter if it's recorded on an iPhone. That's what I just had an, another band do for me. Give me a reference of what you are trying to achieve. And I always have to preface it with, we don't have to sound exactly like them because you can do your own thing. But at the level of sonic quality you should show me what you're trying to achieve and then we can work together and I can give you ideas. And I know my limits too. That's something I've had to learn. It's to be like, okay, I can't do this. Let me give you someone that can, you know, that's awesome. That takes a lot. Cause when I first started out in freelancing, doing the recording arts and trying to do everything for artists that were coming to me, I quickly ended up like, man, I need a place that I can actually do this at. I can't just do this out of my home forever. And so I partnered up with my buddy, Troy. We had like a, a glass shop that we converted into a little studio. And for years, we would just do word of mouth marketing. And the problem with that is it's hit or miss. It's feast or famine. We have no control over that. But also we were just like, okay, we'll take whatever the going rate is for like a day's session. And we didn't really like focus on trying to give the customers a better experience or like help walk them through that journey. And I've seen so many studios that started off this way. They start off small and then they don't know how to grow any bigger. They fail because what, what ends up happening is they burn themselves out. Like you, you were tired of working in Nashville. You know how hard it is to compete at that level to get your foot in the door. And then now imagine bringing something the size of Maggio to Nashville. Like, would that make sense? No, no, no. I, I, it's, no. it's tough. No. And so and this is what happens too, is I think a lot of us come in it from the creative aspects. We're so inspired to like be a part of the process, to make the music that sounds so amazing that inspired us to dive into this world. And we don't come at it with, okay, well, how do I make a business? How to make it profitable? As time goes on, I remember starting off in the mid 2000s when tape was still around and large format commercial studios were still a thing. They're almost gone. Those dinosaurs are only sticking around because they are willing to innovate. They were willing to figure out new ideas to keep them alive. Like, the iconic Abbey Roads is still around, but outside of that, Fantasy Studios closed. I love Fantasy. They were up Northern California. They're at the heart of Berkeley. Countless, countless records have been recorded there. Green Day's Dookie was, you know, that cut there. They have a vault where you have all the two-inch tapes and the archive still has the, the original Satchmo two-inch master recordings there. There's a lot of history there, but it just proves that even a large format facility needs to keep up with the market. And so one of the topics I want to circle back to today is going to be talking about what, what does build a better mousetrap. So if you've ever seen Shark Tank, you heard the sharks use this term often. It's building a better mousetrap. What that really means is you're taking 
the same idea and making it better. The way that you communicate that with your market is being innovative and novel. People are attracted to new. So this is the cycle that we always go through with any product or service. This is how the industries evolve. New becomes good, good becomes the standard, and then the new new becomes the new good. This constant ratcheting effect and things can circle around. There can be cycles. Synthwave is coming back. We have this 80s style music that everybody seems to love, right? Jazz is coming back in certain certain areas, which is amazing. I've actually had my wife's nephews. They're in high school. A lot of the students there, a lot of their friends, they hate electronic music because that's all they've heard growing up. And they love the sound of real instruments. They love realness, that authenticity of live musicians performing. So I think that's awesome. It's going to be a cyclical thing. Yeah. But let me ask you this. What does a, a mousetrap mean to you? What do you feel like that means for us as a modern producer? And I can tell you what I'm trying to do. I mean, yes, let's, let's that go right? that route. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Because it's like that could mean so many different things depending on how you want to structure your business, right? Yeah. So there's a few things for me. The thing that I try to market and push forward with Maggio is we care as much about your music as you do. We really do. We want you to succeed. We're going to go above and beyond. I'm not just going to sit there and push record and be a dud, you know, unless you want me to. I will ask them. I'll preface, you know, be like, <laughs> hey, do you want me to? you know, to add my elements. I don't have to, but I can experiment. We can be creative. The point is once they see that you really care, they love it and they want to come back. So I think that was one of the sales tactics. It wasn't really even a tactic because it's like really, it's really what I believe, you know? So I want them to grow as an artist because if they grow, it's like a rising tide sells all ships, right? So we're going to grow. Yeah, absolutely. So that was one thing I've pushed for myself and for Maggio in general. The next thing on the horizon for us is where we're trying to bring a community around the studio in Dallas. We got a really nice space in the back. So instead of just being a studio, we want to do artist showcases, networking events, connect them with people. Like we know photographers, they need to get headshots, they need to do music videos, and then just create a community around the studio. So it's not just a studio. So it just awesome. provides value greater than just recording a song, you know? Yeah, that is amazing. I think that's definitely a very smart tactic. When the pandemic hit, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists were hurting. They couldn't go out to perform live, which for a lot of them, that's their livelihood. And a lot of places were shut down. Studios just couldn't let people in the doors. They just didn't have the resources to do that, to facilitate the, the cleanliness or separation, physical distancing, all those things. There's a lot of complexities in a studio environment that makes it very tough. And so the people who are able to operate under the table, so to speak, they made it work. But I guarantee you, they still took a hit. So how did you guys fare in the pandemic? Was that tough? Here's the thing. And the pandemic was horrible. And I think it's just like, again, horrible situation for the world, obviously. But for some reason, I boomed in the pandemic. I don't know what happened. I feel like people got cooped up here and we're like, I'm going to just make music and I want to record, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I just remember wearing masks in the studio. I would clean off the mic every time a new client would, you know, finish or like anybody would finish, you know, and just, it, it just, I don't know how it happened. And to be honest, <laughs> so the pandemic was, it's been three years now about, so that's about the time when I quit. So I actually quit or like left my job to pursue this mm -hmm. in March when the pandemic hit. That's like right, right, right on it. Proper when the lockdowns were starting. Literally yeah. two weeks later, all the lockdowns hit and it was wild. And I don't know 
how it happened. It's just, I really focused on building the business, building my website, building the marketing, trying to get a system down in place to bring clients in and it, and it, and it seemed to work. I think, yeah, timing, the luck of it a little bit, but you have to give credit where credit is due. You've put in the work and you've built up at least enough experience in the industry to know how to run a business. As far as running a studio, it's not like you're running blind. But if I asked you, hey, could you share with me some of the financial numbers, you know, on like where you were mm-hmm. before starting Maggio and then where you're at with Maggio, especially now with the, like the partnership and everything running the way it is. Mm-hmm. Are you in like the four figure range, five figures, six figures? Yeah. So when I, when we first started out, I wasn't making that much. I mean, I was pretty broke <laughs> and this year we're set to almost double what we did last year. That's incredible. If we were looking at this from a 30,000 foot view, like a bird's eye perspective, and you were looking at the industry now compared to where it was even just 10 years ago, do you feel like social media has changed that? Like it changed your sales tactics or marketing approach at all? I, I love it. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I think that the possibilities are almost endless now and whatever you can imagine it's a lot more sandboxy it was definitely a lot more of who you knew back then but now it seems like you can go out on your own and as long i mean again it does come down to if you're just like not good at it you're not gonna succeed because people are gonna (laughs) hate it and you're gonna get bad reviews but now it's like you can build up reviews you can work with clients and market and spread the word it's just so much easier to be successful now than it was back then, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I definitely think so too. I think technology has definitely driven the way in a lot of good ways and bad ways. It's a double-edged sword. It is. And for me, looking at what technology enables us to do, we look at social media platforms have completely disrupted the marketing game because before social media, you would have had to like either have an in at a publishing company to get you in traditional media like print, like magazines, newspapers, or... If you want to spend a crap ton of money to get on broadcast, Comcast, for example, Comcast Spotlight is a local only advertising platform that Comcast offers, and they wouldn't take any booking for less than 20 grand. That's their smallest particle that they can divvy out because it all comes down to slices of time that they're selling airtime. Right now, obviously, we have email. I feel like email is definitely a very great and sustainable way to build a business. A lot of people, I think, miss the mark on email. That's a direct communication path and it's opt-in, meaning like you don't just get an email list unless you're shady. (laughs) You don't just get an email list and start marketing to those people. They have to opt-in. They have to send you their email. Yes, here, please send me more information. Social media, it's an ever-ratcheting game, right? If we look at what happened with Facebook, even just 10 years ago, it was a totally different landscape to market and advertise and, and run a business page on. Nowadays, your reach is locked up behind the most sophisticated paywall that they've ever invented. To try to unlock that reach, it's designed to extract as many dollars as possible out of businesses' pockets mm-hmm. because that's what pay the bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on Facebook as just a person and literally all my data is going towards businesses. So yeah, it, it's just a, a crazy market. So maybe we can talk about market sophistication because I brought it up in a previous episode where I was talking about the blueprint with Adam. There's there's four pillars and I don't know how far you are into the program, but it sounds like you guys have already kind of like worked on some things. And how's that? How's that going for you? It's been great, honestly. I, I mean, 
the thing is, I kind of plateaued before and it was a big jump to join. But when I joined, I felt like the support was really nice and, and helped me push through that barrier. And so, I mean, there's a lot that I've incorporated from MPA that I think has been super beneficial. Um, oh, right on. Yeah. And just like talking business and being able to deal with that. So one of the big things is definitely email lists, incorporating that and turning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I studied, so before even MPA, I studied a ton of like marketing books and like turning your cold audience into a warm audience and, you know, and yeah. listen to a bunch of business podcasts. Cause I mean, that's the one thing they don't teach you in school really is how to get a client. No, they don't. No, nope. like what to charge <laughs> they, and like all that yeah. stuff, you know? They'll teach you all the hard skills. Like we know how to move a fader, turn a pan pot and all that stuff. But when it comes to building the actual business, like well, where, where did that go? Well, you should have went to school for business, right? But a lot of times that business is so abstracted. Like if I went for a business administration degree, it would have, it would have been totally foreign to me because everything that I'm trying to apply it to has very specific use cases. Or now you have to start getting into specific tax laws or different ways that we you know might organize our structure. Meaning like, are we going to be a corporate C or S corp or are we going to be an LLC? Like all those things that you only get a blanket coverage of in school and even recording arts school. When we went in for recording arts, you, obviously the, the education you got was invaluable, but even you said it was like more so for the networking, the context, being around the people yep. rather than the education itself, because it's just so broad and so vast to cover all of that. And even just a two year, four year degree, it doesn't give you the applicable stuff until you start getting hands on in the studio. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's, That is exactly why I brought up things like market sophistication. So as I mentioned, it's a cycle. A lot of times people will talk to me and they'll be like, you know, I'm I'm burnt out. You know, I'm running into this or that. Like they're just on a roadblock. And every time they talk about it, they're like, it's just too competitive of a market. And I said, just flip that word around. Instead of saying competitive, it's sophisticated. The market has learned to become like this, this much more aware of what's going on to be able to play at the level that they want to play at. So we have to get even more sophisticated. That's why when we talk about building a better mousetrap, it's going to be doing things that we can do to make things either novel and new to them or make the experience feel like, oh my God, this is a once in a lifetime deal. This is why Disneyland constantly renovates all of its theme parks and rides. This is why they try to transition out of the old stuff that isn't working anymore. They try to find things that are novel and new because they want to give people an experience. And I think you mentioned this earlier. I really want to dive into this with you, but your customer process, when you said you're walking through, trying to go through discovery, you have this process down and it's always going to be, you know, trying to refine it and change things out that aren't working because obviously the market does adapt. But the fact that you have this process and you're trying to discover what the customer's needs are, you know, like, hey, where are you trying to go? Like, are you trying to be this world-class, you know, pop artist or, you know, like a metal band or whatever? And you identify what their key needs are. Now you can speak to them on their level. And I think that discovery process is what sets you apart from a lot of just freelance engineers out there who are just like, hey, I run a studio, come book time with me. <laughs> Do you see the difference there? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the big things is MPA preaches this, but I also learned it too before is just take your price off your website. If you've got it on there, it's not helping the customer and it's not helping you period. At the end of the day, they're going to come in and let's say you charge 150 to record for two hours. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, they 
click on there, they book it, maybe they go through an automated system, they come in, they record it. But I mean, what if they needed tracks? What if they needed mixing? What if they need, you don't know any of that. And, and then they just see this number and in their head, now it's stuck in their head. And, and it's not even like, I mean, yeah, you can like, it's finding what's best for them. I wouldn't even call it upselling. It's literally finding what's best for them. Some clients literally just need to come in and record. Others need an entire song produced out and mixed and mastered and edited. But they don't know it if they're just looking at this number that says $150 to record. Okay, I'm going to come in and just do that. And then they expect it to sound like everything else that's on Spotify. Well, you never talk to them about it. <laughs> you know? Sorry, that was my one rant. <laughs> no, that uh, totally makes sense because what you're talking about is value-based pricing. And I think people even get confused about this term. You obviously uncovered what their needs are. Now there's this question of like, well, whose value are you discussing? And the value isn't, I've got 30 plus years in the industry. Here's my price, take it or leave it. That's not value-based pricing. Value-based pricing is meeting the customer where they're at. They might be like, oh, hey, you know, I've only got a budget of like two grand to do on this whole album. But then when you flip it around, you say, hey, look, this album, if we even just talk numbers, like you're, you're signed to a label and that label's like, hey, we're doing a $10,000 advance. Only costs you two grand to, to do the album. And next thing you know, their PR campaign is going to put you in the, the 10 mil plus figure. What's that album worth to make to you? Two grand should be no problem. We can do two grand, but what's the value in it? So if somebody came at you and we're, we're talking about the discovery process, like where are their needs at? And there's this thing that we can do to communicate with them and just be yourself, just be genuine and uncover what their real needs are. Well, do you need, you know, pre-production stuff? Do you need you know, somebody to help with arranging? Do you need somebody to help with sound design? I can line people up for all that. Let me know. And where is your budget at? Mm -hmm. Like if you're looking at this album, where do you think that'll put you? If you, if you projected, like we're about to hit release date, the album's done, you have your marketing done. And they said, we're looking to play in the, the mil plus range. Like we can expect to get that ROI in about nine months to a year. Okay. Well then if that's your case, then let's, let's invest this much. Do you have this much capital to spend right now? Or we can, we can do like a, you know, a payment plan, you know, every three months or whatever, but you know, net 90 is a term that we hear often in the industry for labels, right? I've even heard of a year late <laughs> from some bigger companies, but Hey, that's, that's on the back end. What I'm talking about is moving to understanding the value that it is to the customer, not the value that we're bringing, but the value to the customer. When you unlock that difference, I don't know who needs to hear this out there, but it is a game changer. <laughs> if you can bring in clients and it really does help when you have steady clientele, if you have the portfolio lined up, this is where you can really start to play around with this stuff. Talking about this, it just, it, it fires me up because it's the hardest thing that I've, I've noticed artists and producers have to learn this in order to transcend above that hamster wheel, mm -hmm. just building yourself a job and then being stuck on the struggle bus, being creative with building the business. And when we talk about building a better mousetrap, it's trying to understand where the horizon is for the audience, for the, the market, for the customer, and try to peak just beyond the horizon kind of just hit the nail on the head. I mean, look, making the artist look at it as an investment in themselves is the way to do it. Right. Cause I mean, it is, it's like, yeah, these, these, like the number, if you came in and wanted us to produce a whole album, it's going to be kind of high. But the point is what you're going to get out of it as an artist 
is going to be an incredible experience and you're going to love it. And we're going to make sure that you love it because we want you to love it. Convincing them to be like, listen, here's what you need, you know, and we can make sure you're covered. And perhaps as we're going along, there might be some other things we see that might be needed as well. And just, you know, kind of prepare them. I don't know. It is, it is a different, it's like when you, when you look at it that way, instead of just selling hours and just selling essentially a service, it does change the game. It brought me back to the analogy of like Lord of the Rings. Are you going to paint the picture that you're Frodo in the journey? The ones that I've seen doing it the best are like Gandalf. I'm here to help you along your journey. I'm not the main character. You're the main character. You're the star of the show. We just, we know the journey you're on to let us guide you on it. We'll be your Sherpa. (laughs) Yes. That's a good one. Sherpa. I'm your musical Sherpa. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <musical> Sherpa. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's always funny. We can get those analogies in. I'm a big Lord of the Rings I'm fan. I'm a huge so. Lord of the Rings fan. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. We actually have Legolas daggers hung up in our living room. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I still have my, I actually, it was a, a gift from a buddy of mine that got married and their wedding gift to all of the, the Grimsmen was the swords. Yes. This little like decorative swords. They're awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, yes. Tangents aside, yeah. you mentioned that you're trying to build a community. I, I checked out your Instagram and it looks like there's some video production involved. Is that another colleague of yours? So originally, Maggio was three of us. My good friend Alvaro, he did the cinematography. But here's the problem. If you confuse them, you lose them. Instead of putting it on there, I was just like, build your own website and I'm going to send them to you. In fact, we just had an artist do like photos with him and and shooting a music video they're not going to look on there and be like oh wait they offer production and video and like what if you're just coming for video it gets really weird and confusing you know i work with him a lot and he's phenomenal having someone of that caliber provides so much value for the artist that I love it. To be honest, we don't take like percentages or anything. We just want, we're just like here, boom, because it it just provides value and they come back and they're like, well, well, how many legs can I add on my business? But if it doesn't make sense to add on those legs, if you start losing your customers, it does make more sense to build a referral program. Let's refer you to them. I think referral networks are great. That's definitely another good thing because you want to have things in your back pocket. There's not a single business that I can think of that is successful that plays at the level that they do without having some sort of like internal process. There's the public facing side, like, hey, here's what we advertise that we do because we want to be known for that. Mm -hmm. But then they do offer other stuff. They connect the dots behind the scenes, depending on the customer's needs. Right. And that's it sounds like that's also what you do. Now, when you said you mentioned building this community, what else does that entail? It's just trying to be involved. Coming from Nashville, the music culture is is crazy. It's just everywhere. It's amazing. For example, we were seeing Moon Taxi in someone's house party, like, and now they're playing huge venues. Dallas does have that, but it's not as big as Nashville. So if we can add to it and grow and help Dallas grow and become part of that, I feel like the longevity you have as a business is going to last. And we might in 10 years not even be a production company. Who knows? But we're open to change. It's trying to be open to that and seeing where it goes. So I really want to get involved. I think we're working on getting involved with different venues. So artists that come in and record with us. 
if they're at the caliber that they should be playing at some of these venues, we want to refer them to these venues, you know, um, oh, nice. you know yeah. connecting them again with cinematographers, with artists, you know, like mm-hmm. actual artists, because Dallas has a huge art scene. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And I, I just think that when you do something like that, it, it's just you become kind of like a, a cornerstone for the city. And that's what we would like to achieve. Well, I'm, let me ask you this. I may have missed it, but when I was looking at your site, nothing really spoke out to me that this studio is based in Dallas. Yeah. Are you working online digitally with global clientele? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was, that was a calculated move. It was. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. yeah, I mean, we geofence our advertising for recording to DFW area. But I mean, I work with, yeah, all over the kind of all over. I, I, I have like... I, I got lucky. I have like three or four producers that do sync placements. And I'm, I mean, they send me mixes every week to do wow. like, yeah. Cause they just turn it out, do, 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 <laughs> you know, and then they reference me and I work with people in New York and it's just LA. And so I don't want people to look at that and be like, Oh, it's only in Dallas. So yeah, it was a little bit of calculated. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and it's just, it's different than it was when I grew up because obviously there was a lot more still just, hey, you're either in my area or you're not. Mm-hmm. And so advertising on there. But our, our other downfall, and I noticed a lot of freelance engineers too, at least back in the day, was they would only put up their business page on Facebook. And that is a sure recipe for stunting your growth later on. And this is, I think, where you guys at least took the time to like, obviously you built a website, you have a mailing list, like you're doing things to get people funneled to you. Are you doing SEO too, like advertising through like Google ads or? Diversify your marketing stream. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you can get really good at one. And, but I think that everyone should, if you're getting into it, should tinker with marketing and watch videos. You can get certified in it for free. I think for Google ads, you can, but I found that like, my stuff doesn't just come from one thing. And if it does, what happens if that one thing does go down? Like you're, Kind right. of SOL, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> SoundCloud. It was a uh, it was SoundCloud because this was back in what 2017 or so. I think there was like more public reports of their like how how well their financials were, and they were constantly in the red. And it was because they constantly were spending more than they were they were earning. Right. And this is also before they had built a lot of their paid tiers. So like, there's a lot of different features they add on to that makes sense for businesses, but for most artists out there. Because it's available for free, they just take it. Right. (laughs) Like, let me put my music up for free. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this article on my website a while back, and it was because SoundCloud was getting so much public attention that every community was just like, oh my God, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? Like, what happens if SoundCloud closes? I'm just like, you know, it's just a silly question. I was like, well, you find another platform, I guess. (laughs) There's always another one popping up. And this is why I wrote the article. I was like, you need to think of this like a business. No business that wants to run as a business out there relies on external parties to do the, the work. Like if that's your if that's your bread and butter, it needs to be in your wheelhouse. And so when I wrote this article, you know, where should you host your music if SoundCloud closes? We are the reason the tech industry has taken over the music industry. The tech industry is where most of the innovation is being focused on. But now that's just tech. There are different ways that we can innovate and be novel. But I think for those that are struggling, like, hey, if your music is only on SoundCloud, if you're only advertising on Facebook, if you're only on one of these platforms or only relying on these social media platforms to do anything, you need to build your own website. You need to get your own mailing list. 
start having more control over how you market to new people and how you talk to your existing customers. Because relying on those platforms is gonna be a sure recipe for disaster. They will change the game whenever they see fit. And it will never be in your favor, it'll be in their favor. If I go gambling at a casino, it's always better to be the house. The house always wins. You might win a couple of hands, but in the long run, the house is the one that's making the money. <laughs> that's why you set up a cigarette shop in a casino. <laughs> and then you sell the cigarettes and then you're part of the house. I don't know. That was just, that was just being stupid. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. No, I, you got to be creatively. Yeah, absolutely. How else can I get in on this piece of the pie? Right. But yeah, I, I believe that your business shouldn't rely solely on other platforms. And I can't tell you the number of artists that I've run into where they host their music exclusively on SoundCloud. Well, what, what are you doing to trying to get into the paid tiers? SoundCloud is just like the YouTube of, of music. So you're not making money until you even become upper echelon. You have to register it. Well, how do I register it? Go to SongTrust, go to any of those DSP platforms out there will help you get monetization rights set up. And that's like DistroKid, TuneCore. Do you have any that you recommend to your artists? Yeah, so we actually have one of the things we do too is, is I started working with Adam on this one. Basically, I wanted to add something to the artists other than just music. So when they get done, we give them like a checklist of a release strategy. And it's oh, like, smart. go through this. We even preface, we're like, all right, this is a checklist that'll get you started. You still need to do your own research and you need to put in the work as an artist. But it'll help you and it'll be like, okay, you can just go through and kind of check them off and then make sure all your bases are covered. When I send them the list, it's a PDF, but you can click on there and compare all of them. So it's like it'll like oh, list awesome. out the pros and cons for each one. So all all of the distribution companies. Now, is that one that you built? No, it was one I think MPA actually recommended. Maybe it was Ari's Take. Ari's Take did like a huge comparison. He's updated a few times. I think that might but he's... Yeah, he's he's covered pretty much every digital service provider out there. Yeah. So it's like and they all differentiate. They all have different perks and benefits. So, yeah, it really does come down to what your specific needs are for that release. <laughs> I jump on a Zoom call too. after I'll be like, I'll jump on a Zoom call for an hour with you guys after and be like, all right, you know, these are the specific steps I think that would benefit you all. To be honest, I'm not the biggest knowledge fountain of that side of the business, but I try to learn it and I ask people that do really well. Like some artists, um, an artist that I work with here in Dallas is phenomenal at marketing himself. And so I'll be like, look at what he's doing. And like, you can see what he's doing. He's getting, you know, millions of streams on his Spotify because he works his ass off. Like seriously, like I'm like, and I tell the artists, I'm like, you think that it was hard in the studio. You literally have to now sit down and look at yourself as an artist, like a business and market yourself. It's the same thing we're doing, right? So this is where the hard work starts. Music was the fun part. And it's, <laughs> it can be intimidating, especially when we hear it. Like if somebody were telling that to me, it would be very intimidating because obviously when I started off, I had no clue about anything business related. And that for me has spent many years of just spiraling down this, looking at podcasts, finding books. And I wanted to learn it. For me, that was the next frontier was, okay, well, how do I build a business? Right. <laughs> it's a never ending thing, but I've since switched. And I think this has helped me a lot. So for anybody who's like fresh off the boat, so to speak, when, when we get to this topic, if you're struggling, like, oh my God, that sounds massive. I don't know if I'll ever figure it out. I'm a fan of just in time learning rather than just in case learning. Mm -hmm. And so if there's something out there that is going to help you get the, to the next stage of your business quicker, just focus on that. Right. 
There are so much other things, like all these side quests you could take. Like I could go dive into advertising and paid advertising SEO right now, but is that really going to help me? Probably not. If I'm just trying to get my first client under my belt, I need to start looking local. What's the easiest thing for me to do? Pick the lowest hanging fruit and then work your way up from there. Because a lot of people will just see the grandeur of it all and they'll either be overwhelmed or unfortunately I did this the wrong way for like a good part of 10 years. Think of these grand things that I didn't have the scale or the resources to do. I couldn't pull off all that stuff. And I needed to just focus locally on how do I build a successful business within my market first. So like my local town of Manteca up in Northern California, and then expand from there to like stock, start looking in that region and then start getting into online stuff. Like learn how to like just ratchet up slowly as opposed to just like well, crap, I see the top of the mountain, but how do I get there? Yeah, no, I think that's <laughs> phenomenal. And that's like the reason we created the checklist because when an artist looks at it, they're like, oh my God, like not the checklist, but they when they get done, they're like, we have so much to do. I'm like, no, literally just go to, 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 down the line yep. until like, you know, you, it's super easy. Actually, you know, speaking of that, I felt like what you just described is kind of how I actually started my side of the business, right? I just started just finding local artists. And then I did, I don't know if you've heard of Thumbtack. I, yeah. I use Thumbtack. I actually, I don't want to like, like do too much promotion for anyone. I don't know how that works or. Doesn't matter. Okay, cool. No, I we're open. freaking <laughs> love Thumbtack. I'll tell you why, because it, qualifies the client and tells you exactly what they want before you even talk to them. And then you can talk to them and then dig deeper, right? So now you already have all this information where typically I'd have to like email them and be like, boo, 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 tell me you know more, which is fine. I, I don't mind doing that. But the fact that it did that for me, and then I just started out really low. And then I basically was like, I'm going to just charge $25 an hour, if that, you know, and I, basically the point was, I know this isn't going to make me money, but I need five-star reviews. I need people to review me and give me good reviews and know that I'm good enough. And then once I built that up, I just started to increase my rates with the reviews essentially. And it worked. Nice. So yeah, that's the ratcheting. Yeah. I, I don't know if we've gotten that far in MPA where you are in the training, but there's all sorts of different ways that we can approach building a more resilient business model. And one of the ones that we, I keep mentioning ratcheting is it's part of dynamic pricing. And I've heard other producers, other engineers, and even other podcasts talk about it. But basically what that concept is, is that, you know, if you have, let's say you have your time slots throughout the day in your six month calendar, right? Well, six months out, if they're booking clear out there, you can charge top dollar because they're trying to lock you in on that time. Now, as you get closer to the day of you know, like, hey, tomorrow I have an opening, you can lower your rates a little bit for local clients or whoever comes in that needs to fill the bill. Oh yeah, I could fit you in there. That's not our normal price. It's a reduced rate, but here you go. And you're just, you're playing with pricing all the time. And then the other thing the ratcheting does is you always be trying to increment your pricing by 5%, 10%, whether that's a week or a month, that's up to you, depending on your volume and how, how frequent your customer turnover is. There's a lot of different things we can do to play with that business model. And the goal is always to be improving the pricing so that we're staying current. We're always trying to find that bleeding edge of where the demand and the value of the customers and the audiences. We can, we can dive into the weeds all day long with that, but it's definitely something that once you start peeking under the hood, you get to at least a little understanding of, I know how this gear connects to that gear. Trying to operate a business is tough. Like there's a lot of pulleys and levers, you know, like what does this button do? What if I press this? And, but once you start just getting even just a couple in motion, now it's just a sequence of moving those same two levers back and forth and you can turn the funnel on, turn the funnel off at needed, so. 
You don't have to get good at everything. <laughs> no, but then it's also, I know, you know, separating the CEO from the technician. But I mean, yep. that was something I had to learn. If you guys are curious about that, I would look it up because it's, I think it's important. <laughs> are there any books that helped you or? Um, oh, hang on. Podcasts? Hang on. Or, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> Gotta have the four hour work week. I have qualms with this still because I still feel like it's like there's some issues, but I think it was super beneficial because it made me look at life and business a little bit different. I, I remember reading through it and there were some things like he pointed out an extreme in his life when he had virtual assistants ordering presents for his family because he was just never around them. That to me was just like, now you're just doing this stuff to automate what you came for the sake of it. What is it really doing to better your lifestyle? Sounds like a shitty person, but that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> he also, it's well, like, he admitted to it. He admitted it in the book and he's admitted he was a yeah, shitty person yeah. for yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's beneficial, but also you can tell he was rich to begin with, you know, like, because he's like, you take many retirements, which I think honestly is a cool idea. But then he'd be like, I'll take two years off from work. And I'm like, okay, no one can do that. You know, like that's not a thing. The e-myth uh, is super beneficial for me. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have the email three visited. That's, that's that was good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I loved dot com secrets. I don't know if you've ever okay. read this one. This one was super. I didn't read that one. Super. Who's that one? Russell Brunson. Oh, yes. Uh, Adam. Adam has mentioned some of his stuff in there. Yeah. It talks about sales funnels and how to build a website. It's all about marketing online. And it's, I think it's super valuable. This is marketing by Seth Godwin. I think that was pretty, it's pretty beneficial. Book. And then the last one is the one page marketing plan. I think that was super beneficial for just like thinking about marketing. And that's by Alan Dibb. To be fair though, I'm terrible at finishing books. So they're all like three fourths <laughs> read, but, but I still like take serious notes and I mark them all up and they all have sticky notes. And, but hey, that whatever works for you. I know so many different people, and everybody has like a totally different approach to how they read books or how they absorb the knowledge that's in them. Mm -hmm. And whatever way works for you, great. Yeah. Don't think that you're missing something. You have to complete the whole book all the way through or read it in a linear fashion. Tackle it, whatever works for you. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. For me, the one that probably made the most sense just in general was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. Yep. The, the digital age edition, because they kind of updated it for social media and they actually give tactics, not just strategies, but actual tactics. So like, you know, being more kind sometimes means a different etiquette than what we might have used in the past. You know, like in the 1930s when, when this guy was alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I also have to take some of these with a grain of salt because it's like. Some of them feel like they've been written by a sociopath. And I'm like, okay, like someone that doesn't have any emotions and they're like, this is how you manipulate someone. It's like, okay, let's not do that. You know, like, I'm not saying they're all like that, but it does feel like a little fake sometimes. I'm like, that's not who I am. It's like, I can implement these yeah. strategies that they're using, but I actually want, you know, the client to succeed. And then that in turn makes me succeed. So like, that's kind of how I've taken a look at all these. Thanks for sharing that, man. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. And we kind of went over a little bit, but basically how has the MPA helped you out? Yeah. So with like sales calls, I think it's been helpful. Sometimes it's just struggling with telling, you know, a client you're right. I think it's, I, I hate that because it's, it, you know, I hate it, you know, but then it's like, you just got to get over that because if you're not confident about your rate, then they're not, you know, I think that's been super helpful. It's just been helpful to just like show like what I'm worth. I, you know, everybody gets imposter syndrome. They've helped me with my website. It's just like a bunch of specific things. And then it's also mindset stuff. I had a good mindset now coming from 
this, but it's helped improved it for sure. Oh, I, I was going to side note real quick. I know you mentioned like giving clients discounts. Careful on that one, though. Make sure you get it in writing that they know that this is a discount for them for this day. Because they're going to try to take you for that for every single time. So just be careful yeah. about that one if you guys are. A little trick that I've learned is if I'm doing a discount in the invoice, I'll have a line item that takes the full rate and then discounts it down to what whatever we agreed upon. And I'll put a, the line item has a detailed description of why they're getting the discount. So, yeah, that's a good, I like the detailed yeah. description. That's good. I, I usually just make sure that they get it in an email or something. So, but yeah, that's like, yeah. I should start doing that. Well, I know, <laughs> especially when you're playing the upper echelon with other businesses, whoever's handling the accounting and getting the bill, they might be completely decoupled from what's actually happening in the business. You might never talk to them. You know, it's like, Hey, send that to the billing department, you know, at Sony music or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they need to know why. Yeah. So it, That's cool. it's just, it, it helps. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, awesome, man. I appreciate you for, for joining me today. Where should they go to check out your stuff? Yeah, you can go to ma6io.com and that's how pronounced Maggio, but ma6io.com. You'll find information about us. You can find our Instagram, Facebook through that, through the website as well. Funny enough, we do, if you don't mind a little plug, we do have a podcast also, but it's directed towards newer musicians that are just getting into it to try to help ease the burden of like, what do I do? What's the whole process? It's called, um, Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It's called music artist, the vision and decision. And that's everywhere. Like Apple podcasts yep. and Spotify it's all on there. Cool. So right on. Well, yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, this is, a, this is a blast, man. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, yeah. I could talk marketing all <laughs> we'll, day. So if you ever, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'll catch you in the Discord. We, and for those who aren't aware, Music Producers Alliance has a Discord community. So definitely go hit us up in there. I'm sure Tyler's lurking in there. I'm, I'm lurking in there from time to time. Oh, I'm in there. Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love the Discord. So definitely join. Right, well, thanks, man. Have a good day. Thanks so much for sticking around to the end of this episode. Tyler and I were all over the place, but there were quite a few nuggets of wisdom we uncovered. First, we learned about his personal journey. Then he shared how the MPA is helping him discover new ways of operating his business to enjoy more success as he creates wins for his clients. I mentioned market sophistication to explain how to evolve your musical brand into a sustainable business. Tyler shared an excellent example of what that looks like to build a community around his company. I mentioned my failures with my past recording studios and how I got stuck because I was only ever focused on myself. As in, this is my studio, this is what I do, and you just book time with me. There's no specialization or care in the message, and that lack comes across in everything we did to reach new clients. The key takeaway, I think, from what Tyler shared was that even he recognizes that to take MA6IO, (laughs) Maggio, to a new level means designing a better experience for his clients and completing that customer journey in a very hands-on, tailored way to their unique individual needs. Not a cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all message. He even mentioned he's had to learn how to say no to opportunities coming his way that aren't in his zone of genius. But he's not only learned how to say no, it's not for him, he found another way to add value by referring them to someone who can help them. I just want to shed some light on a really clever mechanism at play here because we keep circling around this marketing topic. And I mentioned market sophistication as the consumers in the market are more competent than ever before. They're more aware of things in the music industry now. This is why I think it's so intelligent that Tyler's building a brand awareness platform that will keep Maggio top of mind for all in that community. 
If you missed my marketing episode with Adam, go back to episode 28 and listen to it because we talk about the fact that there are different marketing messages that you can craft and why staying top of mind for people you're trying to reach is so essential. I always want to just make it clear that this podcast can really only skim the surface of making you aware of things you can do to improve and grow your brand. So chances are not everything we share in the podcast may be directly applicable to the kind of business you want to create for yourself. This is why the Music Producers Alliance was founded, and I advocate for it. The mentorship program has rapidly evolved, and the community is steadily growing. But if you're stuck and want to get unstuck so you can take your best shot at making a lifelong, sustainable career with your music, you need to consider investing in yourself first. The tools we have and the resources we provide can get you there faster. The podcast is only one small part of what that membership can do. Finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Music Producers Alliance, an online community and professional development platform that provides learning resources, networking opportunities, and professional mentoring to all music creators. Find our mastermind group on Discord. If you're ready to take the leap and build your dream business, book a free strategy call by visiting the link, book your strategy session below.